I ask that you would please turn with me in our text today to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be looking at chapter 7 and verses 24 to 30. Mark chapter 7 verses 24 to 30. Brothers and sisters, hear with me then the reading of God's Word. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed, and the demon gone. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. What we see, brothers and sisters, in our text today is something truly remarkable when you think about it. But it's just another example to us of God's grace and mercy and power which we too often take for granted. Now, this story is significant really for a number of reasons, but those reasons can only really be seen in light of these recent passages that we've looked at over the last few weeks in conjunction with really everything we've seen thus far throughout the Gospel of Mark. As we've been observing for the most part, week after week, those who should have been receiving Christ joyfully, those who had the privilege of being around and hearing God's Word in the synagogue, Right, those who were in covenant with God, those who belonged to Israel, those who had the gospel first presented to them, oftentimes were the ones who denied Jesus. And not only did they deny Jesus, but they had great contempt for Jesus. And this contempt for Jesus, as we've seen, has just been building and building and building. This is why we've seen that the scribes and the Pharisees confront Jesus early in chapter 7. But what we know about Christ's ministry is this, that there is nothing that is going to thwart the ministry of Christ. There is nothing that is going to thwart God's plan that He has for His child. And so for the bringing of fruition God's plan, what we see today is that that entails Christ removing Himself from where all the commotion was occurring. Jesus had to go somewhere where He would not be apprehended before His appointed time. And so really... Starting here in chapter 7, verse 24, running all the way to the end of chapter 9, is what one author calls Jesus' retirement ministry. That's what we're going to see. Jesus' retirement ministry. This is what verse 24 is explained to us when it says that Jesus arose and He he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is some 20 miles northwest of Capernaum. He retired away to a remote place where he he didn't think anyone could find him. And so he goes to the outskirts 
of these pagan lands. He goes outside of the borders of Israel thinking that it is here that he is going to find rest. And yet Jesus cannot get away from people so easily for his fame has spread wide and far. If you remember from chapter 3, after Jesus heals the man with the withered hand, if you remember, he's pushed back into the sea by the crowd and he he actually tells the apostles to get a boat ready in case he had to hop on it. And that crowd that was surrounding Jesus wanted healing from Jesus. And we're told that they came from all over the region. And some of those people that came, we're told, were from Tyre and Sidon. And so, see, these people were already familiar with Jesus. They already heard the message He was proclaiming. And they heard or they experienced His great miraculous power. But what's so incredible about our story today is really the contrast that we see between the Jews, right? Many of the Jews who had every opportunity to believe in Jesus but didn't, versus the faith of this one Syrophoenician woman who was one of the most unlikely of converts. She was not from Israel. She was most likely a pagan who formerly worshipped the Greek gods. She was outside of the covenant, and yet, without having all these benefits that many of the Jews had, what we're going to see is that she believed and she trusted in Christ in a way that ought to be a lesson for every one of us here today. We ought to take heed, observe this, and implement this in our own life. And so we're going to look at the remarkable faith this woman exercised and hopefully learn from it and ask that the Holy Spirit right, would help to grow us in our own faith like this woman today. And so we're going to look at our text under three points this morning. And the three points are this. First is seeking faith. Seeking faith. Point two is patient faith. Patient faith. And point three is humble faith. Humble faith. So point one, seeking faith. Look once more with me to verse 25 and 26. We are told this, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now, from the very outset, from those of us who are looking at the outside, it would seem to us that this woman has many strikes going against her. Right? We've just mentioned a few of them, but there are more. How about first, she's a woman. Right? Jewish rabbis in this day wouldn't be caught dead talking to a woman like this. Secondly, how about this? She's an unclean woman. A Gentile, a Syrophoenician. Now, Phoenicia was a, was a city within Tyre and Sidon. And she's Syrophoenician because it was within the province of Syria. Above all these things that seem to be going against her, though, is that Jesus' own ministry wasn't for her. It wasn't towards her. Jesus' ministry was towards the Jews and not the Gentiles. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, we have a parallel account of this story. In Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. And Jesus, in fact, tells her in Matthew's account, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so, 
things at the outset are not looking good for this woman, are they? It's not looking good for her that she's going to have her petition answered by Jesus. But one thing that becomes plain to us as we read this text, one thing that becomes plain to us if you look at Matthew's account of this too, is that she knows who Jesus is. Right? She's not ignorant of who He is like many who came before her. Right? She doesn't approach Jesus to heal her daughter thinking that He is only this amazing miracle worker. Right? She approaches Jesus. She seeks Him out in faith because she has believed the Gospel. Once more, we're given a little additional information by Matthew's Gospel. And he tells us in verse 22 of chapter 15 that she actually came crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Right? She came seeking Christ rightly. She came seeking Him as the Messiah. She came seeking Him in knowledge. And this drove her to Christ's feet. Right? She had great reverence for the person of Christ. And what did that reverence for Him cause her to do? Fall before His feet when she recognized that she was in the presence of the Lord. And then what does she do? Right? She comes. She, she seeks Him out that He might answer her prayer. And her petition is this, that He might heal her daughter who was filled with this unclean spirit. What I want you to see, brothers and sisters, is that for any of us who are seeking out the Lord and wanting Him to answer our petition, if you seek Him out, you must seek Him out according to how He has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. And no other way. This is what Psalm 145, verse 18 tells us. The Lord is near all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth, can only call on Him in truth and hope that He would answer us. Right? You must come to Christ believing that in Him dwells the fullness of deity bodily. And that because of that, He is able to hear and answer your requests because in Him is the inexhaustible fountain of all grace. Now Matthew records that not only does this woman ask that he help her daughter, but she also asks that he would bring relief to her as well. Right? She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. I'm sure many of us know exactly what she means by this, don't we? If you have a child who is ever seriously ill or, or suffering, right, as parents, when your child suffers, you suffer with them. Right? When your child is experiencing pain and hurt and anguish, so do the parents. Now her faith also seeks out Christ because she knows that she is unable to do anything for her daughter. She can't heal her daughter. She can't take away this unclean spirit from her daughter. And so she understands that the only remedy is the grace and the mercy of God. And yet she doesn't come asking. She comes begging. She begs for mercy, knowing that she has no rightful claim to the mercy of God. And so she pleads with Him. What an example of faith. She knows who Christ is. She believes in Him. She trusts Him. And she seeks Him out. She demonstrates that faith by seeking Him out because Jesus wasn't out and about to be found. He was tucked away in a home somewhere. 
And when she finds Him, she demands nothing of Him, but she falls before Him and she begs and she cries and she pleads for mercy she knows is undeserved for both herself and her daughter. Now this is an example that we all can look to, isn't it? But I think this is a great example for especially parents and grandparents. Right? We all want our children to be rescued from their sin, don't we? But we know that we cannot impart our faith to our children, can we? Right? We cannot force our children to believe in the Gospel. We cannot make them spiritually clean. We cannot give them new hearts for Christ, no matter how much we would want to. Right? We try to train them up in godliness from their youth. But no matter how much we drag them to church every Sunday, no matter how good of a Christian education we give them, we can't draw their hearts near to Christ. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know something. You are not helpless. You are not helpless. Because if you are a believer, then you have access to the Father through the Son where you can cry out to Him, Abba, Father! And He will hear your pleadings. He will hear your cries just as He heard the cries of His people Israel who were enslaved to the Egyptians and He answered their cries. If you love your children, if you love your grandchildren, you can do no greater work for them than to petition God's throne for their salvation. You can do no greater work than that. This too goes for parents who are dealing with Christian children who maybe seemingly have gone away. They seem to lose their way maybe a little bit. right? If you want to help them, help them with your tears. Help them with your pleadings before the Lord. Who tells us in James chapter 5, verse 16 that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Right? Plead your case, not only though for your child's sake. Right? Plead your case with the Lord for your own sake. Ask that He might heal your child, that He might help your child. And in doing so, He's going to help bring relief to your own suffering heart. Now many may say, well, you know, I've done this, and it doesn't seem to change anything. But what I say to you is, do more. Do more praying. Perhaps you want to hit your face and cry out to the Lord. For some reason along the way, brothers and sisters, we've gotten this, this habit of sitting down primarily when we pray. And yet, this is not the primary posture of prayer in the Bible. As our posture oftentimes is an expression of what is inside of man as we pray. And so it begs the question, well, what is the posture of man when they are going through difficult times? Well, we can look to the example of this woman today, can't we? Right? She falls on her face before the Lord. Or we can look to the greater example of Christ. Whereas He's approaching His death, as He enters the Garden of Gethsemane, what are we told? He falls on His face in prayer. Right before that, he told his disciples that his soul was sorrowful. And so, brothers and sisters, if your soul 
feels distressed because of an unbelieving child or because of a a, a Christian child who's struggling or perhaps is backsliding, lay on your face and cry out to the Lord. We are told in Psalm 50, verse 15, to call upon the Lord in your day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. See, the Father wants us to pray to Him. Because then, guess what? He answers our prayer and He demonstrates His love to us. He proves His love to us. But don't expect that with ease. If it was that easy, we would learn nothing from it. He wants us to earnestly be praying to Him. The problem is is that too often we are stubborn, callous, and lazy. And that is the reason why we do not pray like this woman prays. This then takes us to our second point this morning, which is then patient faith. Patient faith. We're told in Mark's account that she begged Jesus. Now when we beg for something, do we just ask simply once or twice? For those of us who have children, we know that that's not what begging entails, is it? Right? Usually it's, it's a constant and continual asking, seemingly with no interruption or pause, right? Take, for example, maybe after dinner, they say, hey, you know, mom and dad, can I have a piece of candy? And you say to them, nah, I don't know. And then what do they say? Please, please, please. They say, I'll, you know, I'll brush my teeth after. Come on, I ate all my dinner. Then they'll go to mom and ask. Then they'll go to dad and ask. Please, 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 with a, a cherry on top. That's begging, isn't it? That's what this woman did. She begged, she pleaded, she asked, and she asked some more. In Matthew's account, it's really incredible because we're told that the first time she asks Jesus, He doesn't give her a response. He is silent when she asks. Think about how much that would deter so many folks, wouldn't it? But it didn't stop her. No, her faith was a a patient faith. And so she persisted in pleading her case with the Lord. I mean, think about it even here, brothers and sisters, in, in corporate prayer. We're probably all guilty of this, aren't we? That we, we raise our hands, we ask for a petition to be prayed, and it's not answered, but week after week it goes unanswered, and yet we never bring it up again and ask for that petition to be prayed again. Right? But this woman... She asks her petition to be prayed. She has silence from the Lord, and yet it doesn't cause her to quit. It doesn't cause her to give up. It doesn't cause her to say, well, I guess the answer is no. No, she persists in prayer. In fact, it is in these moments that Jesus is testing her faith, and He's teaching her something as well at the very same time. And how remarkable this woman's faith is, isn't it? She is truly genuine faith. She passes our Lord's tests with flying colors. Many in the same situation that this woman was in would probably do what? They would probably question God, wouldn't they? I thought you were a God of compassion. How can you sit there in silence as I ask you to heal my daughter who is conflicted with this unclean spirit? You probably know people Or I've heard of people who had children or perhaps a spouse who had a life-threatening condition or illness. Perhaps that resulted in their death. 
And what do many people say? Well, I thought that God, he was a good God. Well, how could he let this happen to my son or daughter or husband or wife? I thought God was all powerful. And yet, he can't even answer my prayer. But this woman here was not discouraged by Christ's lack of response to her at all. All it did was make her ask all the more. She did not take the silence of the Lord as a no. Rather, she took it as an invitation to continue on asking for more. Because she understood that the Lord is loving. The Lord is compassionate. The Lord is all-powerful. Her faith was patient. And so she was willing to wait on the Lord and His timing, knowing that He was sovereign. It's important to understand, brothers and sisters, that although our Lord can can heal at any moment that He desires, that many times He stays His healing hand in order to cause this woman, and in our case, in order to cause us to draw near to Him more. He can heal, but he, He stays His healing hand many times to cause us to relinquish any self-dependence we have, to cast ourselves upon Him, resting solely in His grace. He teaches us through constant prayer often that He does not sleep or slumber, but that He hears our prayers, but He wants them to be more fervent. We're told in Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ear toward their cry. What an absolute encouragement that ought to be to every believer here that our prayers do not go unheard. In fact, the Lord wants us to pour out our hearts unto Him, believing what we read in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You see, our Lord is constantly entreating His people to pray to Him. In fact, He has given us His Holy Spirit in order that we might be stirred up to prayer, that we might ask Him and have confidence to ask Him those things that we otherwise would not. He teaches us to constantly pray and in doing so to lean on His Word to recount to ourselves as we pray the promises of God to His children. You see, it is through these times of constant crying out that we likewise are being conformed to the image of Christ who Himself was diligent in His prayer life. Also, in constant prayer, God is demonstrating to His children that His grace lives within them. Right? The unbeliever has no patience with God. Right? They treat Him like a fast food drive through don't they? Right? they? They ask maybe once or twice, but if He doesn't answer, they go and seek relief elsewhere. But for us, brothers and sisters, as believers, we are the ones who are supposed to be faithful and believing and trusting and reliant. We are to be in submission to the will of our God. And so look at affliction. Look at these seasons of difficulty as God testing your faith. Look at these seasons of difficulty as a good thing, even though at the moment they seem very bad. In these times, He is testing our patience. 
He is testing our willingness to deny ourselves and cast ourselves wholly upon His mercy. But this woman proved that she had patient faith. That she could, that she believed that He could and would heal her daughter. And yet all the while that she's asking, what she is doing is also divesting herself of any and all pride. She is casting off any self-confidence in herself, giving all glory to God so that He would not turn His ear away from her. And this leads us then to our third and final point this morning, which is humble faith. Humble faith. This woman had a humility of faith that I think is rare today. It was rare faith that she had. Rare humility of faith. Look with me please, starting in verse 27 and to the end. And He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. But she answered Him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And He said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon gone. See, this is incredible. This woman's faith. right? She had more understanding of God's Word than all of the religious leaders that Jesus came into contact with who made it their life's mission to understand God's Word. Jesus says, and rightly so, let the children be fed first. Right? What's Jesus saying there? He's saying that the Gospel must first go forth to the Jewish people, not to the Gentiles. And He points this out to the woman. Then He even goes on to say that it's not right to give the, the, the bread of the children then to dogs. Imagine if, if someone was told that today. Oh, the offense they would take, wouldn't they? You're calling me a dog? As soon as they hear that, they're going to get angry. Their, their pride's going to get wounded and they're not going to want help from Jesus anymore, are they? But this is not the way that this woman responded. She doesn't get upset at all because she understands Christ's words and she hears the promise in them. She hears the promise in them. What does Jesus say? Let the children be fed what? First. Let the children be fed first. Which implies what? That the others who are not from the Jewish nation, those who at the moment are not dining at the table with Jesus, will in time be fed and be given a seat at the table. And this woman believed that. And how does she respond to being called a, a dog? Well, she does so wisely and humbly, doesn't she? She responds, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, sometimes this passage can cause a little bit of, of controversy. Right? People can accuse Jesus of being mean and cruel to this woman for calling her a dog. For this word dog is usually a derogatory term that the Jews use towards the Gentiles. Right? Dogs during this time wandered around. Uh, like you might see in impoverished countries today, right? So dogs were—they were wild. They were scavengers. Uh, they had no owner. Uh, they were all left to themselves. They were on their own, and so the Jews would use this word of them to highlight 
the uncleanness of the Gentile people. But what's interesting is this, brothers and sisters, that the word dog that our Lord uses here actually means little dogs and refers to small pet dogs. And this makes sense if you think about it, doesn't Because why would a wild scavenger dog be in our homes picking up the crumbs from underneath our tables? doesn't make sense. But if if you have a small pet in your home, you know that's exactly what they do, don't they? As soon as you're finished eating, they're under that table like a vacuum, eating up everything that's fallen. And so what this woman is pointing out in Jesus' response to her was that, yes, Lord, but even these small pets in the home, they get to clean up whatever falls upon the ground. And this bread that Jesus is talking about here obviously isn't, isn't physical bread. He's talking about spiritual bread. Right? He's talking about those blessings that have come with the arrival and ministry of Christ that we too pray for in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Give us our daily bread. But in this instance, what we see is that this woman takes the words of the Lord, the words that He just said to her, and she makes them her own and she recites them back to the Lord. You see, there was no questioning for her what the Lord said. There was no having her ego bruised because she wasn't allowed a seat at the table, but only the crumbs that had fallen upon the ground. You see, she accepts the truth of God's Word and she replies in humble faith. She happily and without complaint was satisfied with only the crumbs of Christ's mercy. She sees the very least of God's mercy as more precious and desirable than anything in the world. She didn't undervalue the smallest speck of God's grace in her life. She was happy with just that. And the question is for us today, are we? Right? Are we? Are we happy and content if God were just to give us one little speck of His grace? We ought to. We ought to, we ought to see it as more precious and more valuable than anything in the world. Just one little speck of His grace and His mercy. Perhaps if we had a, a right view of ourselves, we wouldn't think that we are deserving of any more than that speck. We ought to be seeing ourselves as David seen himself in Psalm 22 when he says, I am not a man, I am a worm. Or Abraham in Genesis 18 where he says, I am dust and I am ashes. You see today, brothers and sisters, we live in a society of self-esteem, don't we? It's all about how great I am. Everyone tell me how good I am. I'm to love myself, everything about myself, even my flaws. But guess what? That is unbiblical. To have humble faith means realizing how sad you are. It means realizing how terrible you are, how sinful you are, how unworthy you are, how needy you are. Wasn't this the response of the prodigal son? When he realizes his sinfulness and he repents of it and he returns to his father, what does he say? Does he say, Father, give me everything that is duly mine? 
Please place me back into my rightful position as your son in this household. No, he doesn't say that. He comes back to his father and he says, Father, it is before heaven that I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be treated as your son any longer. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That was the response of the prodigal son. And yet, brothers and sisters, how thankful we can be that God does not treat us as we are. Like this woman, our Lord does not treat us like the dogs that we are. But He treats us as His beloved children. He showers us with grace upon grace, filling us up. And He answers our prayers. And yet, brothers and sisters, we have to understand that even when God answers our prayers, it isn't because of anything good in us that He listens. It isn't because of any merit that we have deserved that now He listens to us. As one author puts it, God's grace qualifies us for Christ's benefits. God's grace qualifies us for Christ's benefits. It's all of grace. It's all of unmerited favor. It's all of the work of Christ that He has done in redemption. Why the Father listens to our prayers. Why we are now His children. This woman had true and humble faith. And in fact, this is why when Jesus tells her to go home, she goes right away without another word. She doesn't ask, you know... Did you really do it? Are you, just, are you joking? Are you playing around? Is this, are you serious? No, she believes and she runs home. And what does she find? Right? She finds that her daughter is now lying in bed, healed, as the unclean spirit is gone. And yet before sending her away, Jesus testifies to the genuineness of her faith. After she makes that statement, Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What is our Lord's response in verse 29? For this statement, you may go. Go your way. The demon has left your daughter. In Matthew's account, I like the, the words that he records Jesus saying. Because I think they are some of the, the sweetest and most precious words a Christian could ever desire the Lord to say to them. He says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 15. Then Jesus answered him, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Who here wouldn't love to hear those words from the Savior? Great is your faith, son or daughter. Could he say that of any of us here today? Let us strive for faith such as this through prayer and great diligence. So that when the Lord returns, He can look upon us and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Seeing our seeking faith, our patient faith, and our humble faith. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Your words of life. We pray, Father, that You would teach us Your words this day that you would apply the teaching of those words to our hearts that we might exercise them throughout our days. We ask, Lord, that by your Spirit you would strengthen 
the faith within each one of us, that You would give us faith that seeks after You, that You would give us faith that is patient and that is willing to uh, continue in prayer until our prayers are answered. And Father, that You would give us humble faith, that You would cause us to recognize who we truly are. And yet, Father, be thankful, knowing that uh, You do not treat us as we are, but You love us and call us to Yourself as Your children. And so, Father, we come before You this morning, and we ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.